It's still 2020. <laughs> I had the, uh, the honor and the privilege of officiating a wedding for some dear friends of mine last night. And uh, they, they wanted to do a, a unity candle uh, lighting ceremony during the, the, the ceremony. And uh, it was windy all that morning and all that afternoon. And, and so I tried to talk them out of it. I was like, hey, guys, it's, it's going to be really hard to keep that candle lit. With, it was an outdoor wedding. So I said, it's going to be really hard to keep that candle lit with all of this wind here. So, you know, if you have like the sand or, you know, something else that you could do. And they said, no, 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 we want to do the unity candle. We, we like what it represents and symbolizes. And I said, okay, well, we're going to do it. Uh, I said, I'll have a joke ready in case it doesn't work out uh, to kind of, you know, alleviate some of that pressure. But it worked out. Like right before the wedding started, the wind stopped. There were some rain clouds that had rolled in and it actually made it a little bit more cooler uh, than it had been. And uh, they got back. They did the, the unity candles and they lit it up and they came back over to the altar for the vows portion and I just tossed out the, the joke. I said, man, for the first time in 2020, something hasn't turned into an utter disaster. <laughs> and uh, I, I think that's the way a lot of us feel. We feel like this has been the craziest year that uh, most any of us have ever heard of or known or seen. And it, it's just been incredible. Do you remember, though, um, and, and while I'm talking, if you want to turn to the book of John, we're going to be in John chapter 4 today. John chapter 4, you can go ahead and turn there. Um, but th this year has, has been so funny. I remember at the, the beginning of the year, beginning of January, I remember seeing online and, and hearing from pastors around our country and around the world that were talking about 2020. We, we were just leaving 2019, which is a good year for a lot of people I know. And and we're going into 2020, and I remember a lot of pastors, you know, they'll, they'll take the, the year and they'll usually kind of make a theme out of the year, like, you know, it's 2008, God's going to fascinate. It's, you know, 2009, I, I don't even think of a rhyme for nine, I don't know. God is always on time. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, and so I remember uh, at the beginning of the year, all these pastors were saying, you know, the year of 2020, it's going to be the year of perfect vision. It's going to be the year of clarity. And then February smacked us in the face, and we're like, oh, wait, there's so many things that are unknown. There's so many things that are unsure. There's so much uncertainty around us right now. And I remember thinking back and being like, wow talk about the year of clarity. Nobody knows what to do. Nobody knows what's going on. Like, I, I think they might have missed it. One, one day, though, I was praying a couple weeks ago, and I just felt the, the Holy Spirit say, nah, they didn't miss it. They didn't miss it, because I'm still moving. I'm still working, and I've still got things to do. And I remember in, during our 21 days of prayer, uh, Brother Johnny Watkins, uh, he came up here to lead us in prayer one of those Sunday nights. And he talked about 
uh, he, was, he was talking about fasting and how fasting, the purpose of fasting is to take something in your life and to, to set it aside for a few moments so that you can gain a better clarity, a better picture, a better image of God's heart and his word for us. And, and I believe that 2020 has kind of been almost that forced fast from God because it has allowed us the opportunity to take these things that are in front of us and to put them aside because what happens when all the world goes goes home at the same time? What happens whenever your job that was very secure all of a sudden is laying off people? What happens whenever your kids can't go to school and you got to become a homeschool parent? What What happens when these things happen around us all of a sudden we're forced to take the the normalcies of life and, and put them aside, but in those moments we're also gaining a better clarity And I believe God is using this time to to show us how important family is, to show us that not only is our job a provider, but God is our provider, even in these times. Sometimes you just have to to strip away what's in front of you to see more clearly. The other night I was driving home, and uh, it was dark, and I was crossing the bayou, and I hit this massive flock of mosquitoes or June bugs or something. I, I murdered about 14 million of them. Just and my windshield was just plastered with bug guts, which wasn't a terrible thing because I thought, you know, I'll go get gas tomorrow. I'll get the little squeegee thing and get up there and get it all off. But the next morning, whenever I got in my Jeep and I'm, I'm coming here to work, I'm heading east and that sun is in front of me and those bug guts are splattered all over the windshield. It made it really difficult to see. And I got to the gas station. I didn't even pump my gas first. I went and I got the squeegee thing first. And I'm over there <laughs> trying to get those guts off of my windshield. Because something, sometimes to see more clearly, you have to get things out of your way. And I believe that's what 2020 is. We've also seen just how divided our country really is. We've seen how widespread racial prejudice is. And it's in these moments that we need to take the things that are in front of us and and put them aside for just a moment so that we can see more clearly the heart and the word of God in every situation that we face. And so today I want to address a topic that's kind of a sensitive topic. It's kind of a topic that a lot of people would shy away from, but I want to talk about racial injustice today. And the reason I want to talk about that is because this isn't a political issue. And I'm not going to talk from a political viewpoint today. I'm not going to talk as a Republican or as a Democrat. I'm not going to uh, mention the names of any political leaders or presidential candidates because this isn't a political issue. This is a spiritual issue. And I believe it needs to be addressed in the church. Come on. We talk about sin all the time. Can I be real honest, real open with you? Racism is a sin. It's a sin. We're going to call it what it is. It is a sin. And so I love this. Uh, And I want to ask you, if you could with me for just a moment today, and this might be the part that that you feel like, hey, man, get off my toes. You have no business being on my toes. Uh, But I want to encourage you with this today. If you could, for just this morning, just take any... Uh, opinions that you have 
on this particular subject and, and set it aside. Take any political viewpoints that you've heard or you've seen in the news for just a moment and, and take it away and set it aside so that we can see God's heart on this issue. Again, I said I'm not going to come from a political viewpoint. We're going to look at the Word of God and see God's heart on this subject this morning. So if you're with me, say amen. Amen. John chapter 4. Believe it or not, racial injustice and racial prejudice was alive and well in the days of Jesus. And so we're going to read part of that this morning in John chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 1. I'm going to read a, uh, through verse 31, and then we're going to break it apart a little bit. It says, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. Verse 4 is the verse that I want us to have imprinted on our hearts for this whole next week. Are you ready? He had to go through Samaria on the way. That's what I want you to remember this week. As you go about your life, I want you to remember John 4, verse 4. Jesus had to go through Samaria on the way. We're going to talk about that here in just a moment. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised. This will show you the racial tension in Jesus' day. For Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you. And if you only knew who you were speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. I want to say this. I want to pause right here for just a moment. I believe God is saying this. If you only knew the gift that God has for you, we know that's salvation. We know that's Jesus. If you only knew that gift of salvation, and if you only knew the person you're praying to and the power that he has and all majesty that he has, then you would ask him and he would give you living water. There's a biblical principle here I don't want to skip over. Jesus is saying this, if you know the gift of salvation, which God had planned and predestined and ordained for all of the world, all races, all colors, all genders, all people, all nations, all languages, if you only knew that that gift was for everyone, and if you only knew the giver of that gift, you would pray. That's what Jesus says. You would pray. And I've, come on church, that's good. I believe he's saying this, we should be praying for the people around us. 
we should be praying for ourselves, that we wouldn't hold on to this gift just for ourselves, because you're going to see here in the moment in the rest of the conversation they have, there, it's a very racially tensioned conversation, but it's also a very religiously tensioned conversation where she says, hey, you Jews believe this, we Samaritans believe this, and I want to tell you today, the gift of God is for all people. It's for all people. Come on, that's good. That's good. But sir, verse 11, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? And Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Look at her reaction. Please, sir, give me this water. Then I will never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come back here to get water. Jesus shifts the focus. Watch this right here. Go and get your husband. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim that it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? And Jesus replied, y'all check out these life-giving words. Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews. I love this. He's prophesying about himself. Mm, that's good. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Come on. I, mm. I was about to jump ahead of myself. I, I'm going to hold back. Sorry, this is going to be good, y'all. Hang on. Just then, the disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking with her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly see, be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. Then we'll skip down to verse 39. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. And when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days. He's so good. Long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him for ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. Mm, come on, church. 
Are you ready for this? I want to show you three things, three walls that Jesus broke down. And this first wall I want to talk about today, Jesus destroyed the wall of racial injustice. Jesus destroyed the wall of racial injustice. Now, I got to give you just a little bit of a background to this story. Jesus is in Jerusalem, and he's traveling from uh, Judea, which is where Jerusalem is. It's kind of like Judea is almost like Texas, all right? And he's traveling from Atlanta in Texas to Galilee. Okay, so he's going from Judea to Galilee is what the very first portion of this uh, John chapter 4 told us. And verse 4 says he had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. Now, little geography lesson, Judea is in the southern part of what is Israel, and Galilee is the northern part of what is Israel, and Samaria is smack dab in the middle of it. And the Bible tells us Jesus had to go through Samaria. Why would the Bible tell us that? It would automatically be assumed. The, what, what did Brother, uh, Brother Don say this morning? The, the quickest point from point A to point B is a straight line. So why is the Bible telling us that Jesus had to go through Samaria? Well, it tells us right there. It says, because Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans. There is a huge racial divide. Now, I got to tell you a little bit about the Samaritans. The Samaritans are half Jewish and half Gentile. The Jews hated them and the Gentiles hated them. Everybody hated the Samaritans. What happened was back in around 721 before Christ, B.C., the Assyrians came in and they took all of the Israelites, they took all of the Jewish people, and they exiled them to Babylonia, to Babylon, to be slaves there. And the Bible tells us that, or the Bible doesn't tell us this, but history tells us that at that time as the Israelites had been removed, the Gentiles from other nations surrounding them had infiltrated the land that was left there. Now here's the thing, the Babylonians, they didn't care for the weak the sick, the blind, the elderly. So whenever they went and exiled these Jews, they took all of the strong, healthy, and young, and wealthy. And they left everyone else there. They were just the outcasts, the ones that they didn't need, honestly. It's the Babylonians, they didn't need those people. So they left them there. These Gentiles from surrounding countries, they move in. And so these leftover Jewish people the ones left behind start intermarrying with these Gentile nations. And they start to merge their religions because now you've got a half Jew and a half Gentile. And so they're taking half of their heritage with them and they're intertwining it with the, the cult practices and, and all the rituals of the Gentile nations. And, and so now you have this completely new race of people and religious group of people called the Samaritans. The Jews hated the Samaritans. So that's why the Bible tells us Jesus had to go through Samaria because back in that day, it was perfectly customary, it was completely customary for a Jew to go around Samaria if they were going from Judea to Galilee. They would, and let me tell you, if you look up the geography of it, going around takes so much more time. There's so many more hills and mountains it is not a good way. It's not an easy way. But the Jews hated them so much that they would go around Samaria to get from point A to point B. 
They didn't do the straight line. They went the curved line. So why does the Bible tell us Jesus had to go to Samaria? It doesn't mean, it's not saying that someone had a gun up to his head saying, boy, you better go through Samaria today. It's not because his disciples said, Jesus, we really need to get there in a hurry because the Bible tells us he spent two days in Samaria. He wasn't in a hurry. So why did Jesus have to go? You want me to tell you? It's because there's a woman there. There's a Samaritan woman there. A Samaritan woman that was hurting a Samaritan woman that was broken, a Samaritan woman that had been overlooked and rejected all of her life, and Jesus wasn't about to stand for that. And so he goes from Judea, and he's traveling to uh, Galilee, and he said, we got to go through Samaria. They get to the well in the capital city. Jesus sits beside the well. Can I encourage you today? I want to be encouraging. If we are going to have racial reconciliation in the United States of America, we're going to have to learn to sit down. And we're going to have to learn how to have conversation. And we're going to have to learn to be able to see past all of the, the, politi- the politicizing of all of this and be able to see the heart of the person. Can we do that, church? Can we do that? We've got to get past what we've been told and what we've learned in our culture and our society, and we've got to look at the Word of God. How did Jesus handle it? He sat down at the well, and he had a conversation. First of all, that was a big no-no in his day. Not only did they try to avoid Samaritans, but if they came into contact with Samaritans, you know what they would do? I'm sorry to my camera people back there. (laughs) I've gone all over the place. They would try to avoid them every which way. They wouldn't even give them the dignity of of being even categorized as existing. That's how much this hate was embedded inside of them, but not in Jesus. Not in Jesus. He sits down with the woman at the well, and I want you to notice this. Jesus initiated the conversation. He initiated it. He didn't wait for her to come up and say, excuse me, sir, are you thirsty? No, he started the conversation right there. Woman, please give me a drink. Come on, church. He is so good. He is so good. He didn't see her as a second-class citizen. He didn't see her as the ones that were left behind and forgotten all these years ago. He saw her heart. And he spoke to her heart. Come on, church, that's good. That's good news right there. Listen, we, we, we just sang a song earlier. Uh, help, me, help me out. Uh, heal my heart and make it clean. I believe America, we need our hearts healed. <laughs> and we need our hearts cleaned of, of any racial prejudice that we've had. Open up my eyes to the things unseen. I believe there's a lot of things that we're not seeing. We need to pray, God, open up our eyes to be able to see these things. Show me how to love like you have loved me. Oh, come on. Y'all didn't know that they were prophesying and worship this morning, did you? Come on. As a walk from earth into eternity. I forget the part. What does it say about the kingdom? You're going to have to help me out, Kay, was it? 
Uh, says something about the kingdom. I don't remember. Yeah, were y'all here this morning? I don't remember. Anyways, sorry. It's talking about the kingdom. That's the mindset we got to have. We have to have a kingdom mindset. We have to have a kingdom mindset. And I love this because Jesus had to go through Samaria, not because he was being forced, but because he understood the importance that whenever there's an injustice, you don't walk around it. Come on, church. Whenever there's an injustice, you don't turn your back to it or ignore it. Come on, church. I'm telling you, when there's an injustice, you confront it. You look it in the eye. You say, hey, we need to sit down. We need to talk about this. We need to get this right. He wasn't just believing that racial injustice was wrong, but he was visually against racial injustice, and we should be the same too. And I love this too. I want to point this out, talking about different races. Jesus recognized her race. He said, you Samaritans believe, or she said, uh, you Jews believe you should worship in Jerusalem. We Samaritans uh, believe that we should worship here. And I love what Jesus said. He goes on to say, let me find it here. He says in verse 22, you Samaritans know very little about the ones you worship, while we Jews know all about him. He identified her by her race. You are a Samaritan. And we Jews, Jesus clearly identified himself by his race. Listen, I think one of the dumbest things we can say is, I don't see color. Of course you see color. Everybody sees color. And God made it that way because he likes it that way. Come on, church. These last couple of weeks, I, I will be the first to admit to you, I will eagerly admit to you that there have been racial prejudices in my own life. Growing up, it's, it's ingrained in our culture. The disciples, they came back to Jesus and they were shocked that he was talking to this woman. They were shocked because it was ingrained in their culture. And they had been with Jesus. So don't think for one moment that there might not be a prejudice inside of you. That's why we've got a, we've got a uh, in Romans chapter 12, it says examine yourself fairly. Examine yourself honestly, not according to your culture, but according to the faith you have in Jesus Christ. We've got to examine our hearts according to the faith we have in Jesus Christ. And I love that. I, I was talking, uh, I, I spent these last couple of weeks reaching out to several of my black friends that I've known and have had influence in my life going through college and, and several of my students, and I've asked them, hey, share with me what's on your heart because I know there's something I'm missing because this has been happening for 400 years. And I said, I, I don't understand because I haven't been immersed in your culture. Tell me what I'm missing. And I love one of my friends, he told me this, he said, don't ever say that you don't see color. He said, if you only cooked food with one spice, it would be really boring. He said, you got to use all kinds of spices to make that food interesting and come alive. Come on, church. That's, some, that's a good word right there. That'll preach right there in itself. So I want to encourage you. Don't say, I don't see color. Say, I see color and I love it. I see color and I honor you for it. I see color and I love you because of it. I see color and you're still valuable to me. Come on, church. That's good. We got to get it in our hearts. 
That's exactly what Jesus did. And you can see it in the way that he spoke to her. He was so patient. He was so patient. Here's the second wall that Jesus destroyed. Jesus destroyed the wall of gender injustice. Pastor Sam, you're opening up a whole can of worms up here on us this morning, aren't you? (laughs) Jesus did too. Because in his day, not only was it culturally a sin, not in God's eyes, but culturally unlawful for him to speak to someone of a different color, of a different race. But it was also culturally unlawful for him, a man, to be speaking to a woman in public. You'd have to know a little bit about the history in this day and time. Women were not considered, in in the Jewish culture and in the Samaritan culture, both of them, women were not even considered human in some areas. They were considered a little bit more than dogs. And this is the area, and this is the culture that Jesus grows up in. It's ingrained in his society. It's ingrained in his culture And he's alone at the well with a Samaritan woman. Woman, please give me a drink. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. Why? Because he's about his father's business. Because he's about kingdom business. We got to be about our father's business. We got to be about kingdom business. I love this. The disciples come back and they're shocked. It says that they didn't say that they were shocked because he was talking to someone of a different race. In this moment, they said they were shocked because he was talking to a woman. They were shocked. Jesus, what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? They're over there murmuring to themselves. I wonder what his deal is. Jesus doesn't care. Jesus doesn't care. What people say, listen, I want to encourage you, don't, don't let people around you affect your attitude. Don't let people around you affect the way that you love others. Don't let people around you affect your mindset whenever it comes to these things. Because I know how it is, you get around people, they start throwing around a joke or they start uh, making fun or poking fun. And listen, it's really easy just to <laughs> and laugh it off. But Jesus, he doesn't. He stands his ground. He's speaking to that woman. He's talking to her. He doesn't care what they say all around him. They were shocked because it was deeply ingrained in their hearts, and they didn't even know it. This week, I want to encourage you to look inside of your heart, examine yourself like we said, and look for any racial, any gender prejudice that you may have. And listen, I, I, I could go on and on, even on the gender thing right here, because I think a lot of the scripture that we've read for so long has, has really been misinterpreted whenever it comes to these issues, because Jesus, he's never a person that wants to keep someone in bondage. Ooh, come on. He came to set the captives free. He came to liberate those that were in chains. Come on, he came to heal. He came to restore. He didn't come to keep the status quo or to keep the culture in check. As according to their, anyway, y'all know what I mean. Come on, we gotta examine ourselves. We gotta examine ourselves. 
I love this because this shows us his heart. If it had been a Samaritan man, we could have said that this is great. This is incredible. Wonderful past, wonderful message, Pastor Sam. This, this is great. But Jesus, he doesn't just come at one injustice. He comes at all injustices. He meets them right where they're at, head on. This was a Samaritan woman. This is how much God hates injustice. He's willing to confront them all at the same time. Let's open up a whole can of worms here and get this done with is what he's saying. That's good. It's good. And if we stopped there, that would be good. But Jesus didn't even stop there. Because here's the third wall that he broke down. Jesus destroyed the wall of dead religion. In this moment, in John chapter 4, he destroys the wall of racial injustice, gender injustice, and dead religion. What did the disciples say whenever they came back from town and they saw Jesus? They wanted to say, why are you talking to her? They didn't. What did they say? Rabbi, eat something. Rabbi. Rabbi is a Hebrew word for teacher. Jesus, in this moment, they identify him as being a teacher. Jesus, in this moment, is sitting at a well with this woman teaching her. And in Jewish culture, that was the biggest no-no of them all. Because heaven help us, if a woman was educated, she might just take over the world. <laughs> Come on. And Jesus is sitting there teaching her. And I love this because he's not just teaching her. He is revealing himself to her. He said, I am the Messiah. She said, I know the Messiah is coming. He said, woman, I am the Messiah. I'm right here. Can I, can I point this out to you? This was far before he went to the cross. This was far before he took all of our sin and shame on his back and carried it up that hill and was nailed to the cross. This was before that time. This was before he had revealed himself to so many people. But because of the injustices and the hurt and the pain in this woman's life, he, he, can't, he had to go. He had to reveal who he was and say, listen, I am the Messiah. So many other portions of Scripture, the Bible tells us that Jesus would leave a certain place because he didn't want to reveal who he was at that time. But he's openly going up to this woman, I am the one you're looking for. I am. Not only is he speaking to someone of a different race, which in their culture was a no-no. Not only was he speaking to a woman, which in their culture was a no-no, but he was teaching her, which was the biggest no-no of all. I want to share a quote with you. This is a, a quote, if I can find it here, uh, from a first century rabbi. So about the time that Jesus uh, was walking the earth. Where is it? I'll find it here in just a second. But he says this. I don't know if I can find it. I'm sorry, y'all. I have it written down here somewhere. Just can't find it. But he says this in summary. This won't be word for word. You can come find me right after service. I'll find it for you then. But he says this. He says, I would rather burn the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. I would rather burn the Torah than teach it to a woman. That was their heart back then. 
But that wasn't the heart of Jesus. That wasn't the heart of Jesus. He's breaking down the walls of racial injustice, of gender injustice, and of dead religion. Mm. Someone just say, he's good. He's good. He's so good. A popular quote from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. says, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And I believe that's the heart of God. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. That's why Jesus had to go through Samaria. It's because there was an injustice there that needed to be squashed. And that's God's desires to break down every wall of injustice, every single wall. And I want you to notice what happens after this conversation. The woman gets upset. She goes back and tells everybody, and they're trying to hunt down Jesus, right? Right? Is that what we read? No. (laughs) Jenny's like, what is he saying? No. The woman leaves the well, and she leaves in a hurry because she left her water pot there. The reason she came to the well, she left it there, but she got much more than she came for, and she goes back into the village, and she starts to tell everyone. Now, I got to point this out to you. This is so good. I got to point this out to you because this is the heart of God. This woman... I've heard this this message preached so many times, this passage of Scripture preached so many times, and I've always heard it from the viewpoint that this woman was a sexually immoral woman. Because Jesus in the conversation, he says, go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. He said, that's right, you've had five husbands in the man you're with now. Isn't even your husband. She said, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. (laughs) And for so long, I've always been I've always heard this preached that she was a a sexually immoral woman, but back in that day, a woman had no legal right or authority to divorce her husband. It was legally impossible for a woman to divorce her husband, but it was totally legally possible for any reason or no reason for a man to divorce his wife. And so whenever Jesus says, go get your husband, she says, I don't have a husband. He says, that's right. You spoke the truth because you've been married five times. He's not saying, oh, woman, you need to get your life together. What he's saying is this. I see that you've been rejected. I see that you've been overlooked. I see the pain in your heart because the man you're with now won't even accept you as his wife. And the five previous to that threw you out like Wednesday's garbage. He wasn't getting onto her neck. Woman, you've been married five times. He was getting down and saying, I see your pain. I see your hurt. I see the injustice that has happened in your life. And I love this because Jesus, Jewish 
man, teacher, is speaking with a Samaritan woman with a hurting past. And even though Jesus, in none of those capacities, could ever understand exactly what she had been going through, he got down and said, I may not be able to understand what you're going through, but I see the hurt in you. I see the pain. I see your past. I see what you've gone through, and I'm here for you, and I love you. Church, what if we as the church, come on. What if we would learn to get down and just be able to say, hey, I'm going to put aside all of my political views. I'm going to put aside all of my cultural views because I want to see your heart because I know you're hurting. Come on, church. Come on. I've talked to six of my black friends these last couple of weeks, and have just asked them to share what was on their heart. And I'm not saying that to puff myself up. I'm saying that because I had no idea. <laughs> and I, these aren't just random people. These are spirit-filled, Bible-believing, God-serving men and women. Every single one of them said, man, it's been hard. <laughs> said, it's been painful. I'm hurting right now. I love God, but I've got questions for him. <laughs> and I know that he's against injustice, but I see it every day, and I just don't know what to think. Y'all, I have cried like a baby these last few weeks hearing some of the stories that these men and women have gone through, that they have been willing and brave enough to share with me, and it's heartbreaking. And God wants us to be able to look into the heart of a man and a woman, a boy or a girl, and say, I may not be able to identify with what you're going through, but I love you. And I'm for you. And I'm with you. And I want to learn. And I want to listen so that I can do whatever I can do to make sure that the example that Jesus left us is carried out in my life too. Come on, y'all. Come on. The Samaritans, they come back after the woman had preached to them, shared her testimony with them. They beg Jesus, stay with us. Listen, church, that's what unity looks like. Samaritans going to people that just hate them and saying, stay, please, we beg you, stay with us. Church, if we would just learn to extend our heart to others, it will open up so many doors, and there will be so many people that are able to say, hey, I want you here with me. Let's figure this out together. Let's do this together. Jesus says, all right, I'll stay for two more days, just since you asked. I believe it was in his heart the whole time. He was just waiting for the invitation because that's how good he is. 
They say, please stay with us. He stays for two more days. And he teaches. And the whole village comes back to him. And they say this. Now we believe not just because of what you told us, talking to the woman, but we believe because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. Not just the Jews, not just the Samaritans, but the Savior of the world. Church, we serve a God that is for all people. And listen, it's a no-brainer to say all lives matter. We all believe all lives matter. But I love that Jesus took that opportunity to speak to them directly. And that is why for me, I am able to stand up here and say, listen, for me, black lives matter. Because until you can look at a person's heart and say, you matter, you don't truly believe that they matter. Until you can say, you matter, you don't truly believe that all lives matter. And I love this because that's what Jesus demonstrated. He went in and he said, listen, I'm for all people, for the whole world. But I want you to know that I'm for you. Because you're hurting. Because you're broken. Because there's pain on the inside. We know that the whole world matters. But in this moment right now, I want you to know that you matter. And I believe we shouldn't just be able to say that black lives matter. We should be able to say that black lives are valuable, that black lives are needed, that black lives are celebrated. Come on, church. If you're not able to say that, then maybe you're the, well, I'm stepping on toes again. Maybe you're the one coming up shocked. Oh, my goodness, what is Jesus doing? <laughs> We need to be able to put those things aside and say, you matter to me and you matter to God. Come on, church. That's good. That's good. It's okay to have compassion. It's okay to let your guard down. It's okay to set aside your political leanings. It's okay to live a kingdom lifestyle because that's what God demonstrated for us. That's what Jesus left us an example to do. I love that. Last night at the wedding, I was looking out during the reception. It was a beautiful wedding. There was a bunch of people there. They're smiling, they're, they're dancing, they're celebrating with the couple, taking pictures, and it was a beautiful time. And I remember thinking to myself, I wonder how many of these people would be here if they were going through a soul-crushing situation right now. Because we find that a lot of people will come and celebrate with you, but few people will come and cry with you. And that's the example God gives us in Romans 12. He says, be happy with those that are happy and weep with those that weep. And church, I'm speaking to the church here this morning. There's a group of people that are weeping. And are we going to be the ones that just celebrate whenever success happens, or are we going to be the ones that will be able to sit down and to cry with them? Come on. Come on. That's good. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17 through 18, it says, If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be? be in that person. Ooh, 
Dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. I believe we're a church that can do that. I believe that we're a church that will do that. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 13 through 17. Again, this is a hard word to hear right here. Listen to this. This is God speaking to the Israelites through the prophet Isaiah. He says this, Stop bringing me your meaningless gifts. The incense of your offerings disgust me. As for your celebrations of the new moon and the Sabbath and your special days for fasting, they are all sinful and false. I want no more of your religious, pious meetings. I hate your new moon celebrations and your annual festivals. They are a burden to me. I cannot stand them. When you live, mm, this is the one that got me in church. Listen, sometimes the word of God is hard to read, <laughs> but it's always good. It's always good. He said, when you lift up your hands in prayer, I will not look. Though you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Why? For your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims. So what's the solution? He says, wash yourselves and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight. Remove them. Give up your evil ways. I think some of us, we've got ways inside of us that we need to give up because it's been ingrained in us. And then listen to this. These are the steps that he gives us. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of orphans and fight for the rights of widows. Listen, this is the worship that God desires. And I, I love, we, we said it at the beginning of the service, I love that we're a church that believes in worship. But our worship should go beyond these walls and should be carried out in our everyday life whenever we learn to do good. And there's some of us, we're, we're going to have to learn to do good. For me, it's a learning process. We're going to have to seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of those who can't defend themselves, fight for the rights of those who can't fight for their own rights. And I love this in Romans chapter 12. I mentioned it a moment ago, but starting in verse 9, it says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Really love them. You do that by hate, hating what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Be happy with those that are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. And listen, y'all, I, I play the piano and I took uh, a little over a decade of classical music. And uh, the, whenever you see these wonderful singers up here who have incredible skill, by the way, Whenever you see the, the person who's leading the song, they're singing what's called the melody. And in the Nothing Else song, Maya, she was leading the, the, the melody. And then in the second verse or in the chorus, the rest of those up here came in and they joined her singing, but they weren't singing the same notes that she was singing. They were singing different notes. But whenever those that were harmonizing were singing with Maya, leading the melody, and it blended together and made so much more of a beautiful sound. And this is what Romans 12 is saying, live in harmony. He's saying this, you don't have to live in uniformity. <laughs> you don't have to be the same color. You don't have to be the, the same thought process. You don't have to be the same. You can be different and still make a beautiful noise. Come on, that's good. 
Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people, and don't think you know it all. I think that's a word from the Lord today. <laughs> For me especially, don't think you know it all. <laughs> I love his word. It's so good. It hits you right where it hurts in all the good ways. And then I love this last verse I want to share with you, Galatians 3, verse 28. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one, come on, in Christ Jesus. And he's not saying that these things don't exist. Obviously, we know different races exist, different genders exist. We know these things. But God's heart is that we all live as one. Because even though we can see the differences in each other, we should be able to look at each other's heart and say, I love you. And I celebrate you for who you are, for who God created you to be. Because church, we are all made in the image of God and in his likeness. Someone say amen to that. Amen. So I want to encourage you with this as we close today. We won't have any singing uh, at the end of the service today, but governments and, and countries and political policy, those things won't eradicate the issues that we face. I truly believe with all of my heart that the institution that is the most well-equipped to lead us in these areas is the church. And we as the church should be the example to the rest of the world. The, God says, come on, God says in his word, they will know you by your love for one another. And I believe we as the church can do that. So how do we fight these injustices? Well, let me tell you, first of all, it's a spiritual battle and we need to pray. We need to pray. I think for so many people, prayer is a last resort, but we don't believe that here at Calvary Tabernacle. We believe that prayer is our first weapon. And so we're going to go at this with prayer. Pray for those around you. Pray for our country. Pray for those that are hurting, those that are struggling. Pray. Here's the second thing. Understand God's heart. And we do that by looking into the word of God. And I want to go one step further. We do that by talking to God's people. <laughs> So reach out to someone who doesn't look like you this week and say, hey, listen, I want to know what am I missing? And allow them to share honestly with you. And don't just listen to have a rebuttal at hand, but listen to hear their heart and to understand their heart because you'll get a better understanding of God's heart when you do that. And can I say this too? Whenever you get to heaven, it's going to be full of all kinds of colors. It's going to look beautiful. Come on. I can't wait. Here's the third thing. Seek justice, just as the word says in Isaiah 1, help the oppressed defend their cause and fight for their rights. Jesus was visually, openly against injustice, and we should be too. Come on, church, that's the example that he left us. Come on. That's good. That's good. So if you're going to be the church and break down these walls in your life, are you ready for this? This is a dad joke, a dad pun. You're going to have to go through some areas in your life and ask God to show you some things that are inside of you that aren't in his word. And whenever he does, don't be offended by it. Because whenever we get to the other side of this, 
and we look back and we talk to our children and grandchildren, we'll be able to say, listen, when the whole world was figuring this out, I was the one that went through Samaria. I was the one. We were the people. We were the church that didn't go around the issues, but we went through the issues, and we came out of it better than before. I love that, and I love this too. It's a principle. Whenever we can be united, his church is going to grow. All the people in the village came back, said, we believe not because of what you told us. We believe because we've heard him for ourselves. If we would be united, we would be able to see the heart of God and know him for ourselves. Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you for this life-giving word. And I pray just like for the woman at the well, God, that this would become a word that springs up life inside of us. It comes a living water inside of us. God, that we would not be the people that closes our eye to injustice, God, but that we, as you did, as the example that you left us, we would be the people that confront it in our lives, God, that we would examine our hearts, that we would break down the, the walls of divide in our lives, lives, Lord, that we wouldn't even live a dead religion, God, but we would live in your presence alive, God. We love you so much, and I pray for every single person that is hurting and broken in this time. I pray that you would mend their hearts, that you would bring them closer to you, God. We pray for justice. We pray for uh, the rights of those that cannot stand up for their own rights, Lord. We pray that you would just be the peace bringer in their lives. We love you so much, God. And we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name. Somebody say amen.